Amidst all the mess surrounding baseball right now, from the contentious negotiations to minor league contraction, we still had some semblance of normalcy with the 2020 MLB draft last week. Now, yes, it was significantly reduced from 40 rounds to five, but numerous players' dreams still came true, including six for the Seattle Mariners. Three pitchers, Emerson Hancock, Connor Phillips, and Taylor Dollard, and three position players, Zach Deloach, Caden Polkovich, and Tyler Keenan. What these six athletes will fully bring to the Mariners organization is yet to be seen, but that doesn't mean we can't make some predictions. Here to help us with that is a very respected member of the media, Corey Brock, who writes for The Athletic in Seattle. Corey has provided in-depth coverage leading up to and through this newfangled draft process and has plenty of insight to share on the Mariners organization as it stands today, with six new pieces moving into place amongst their rebuilding puzzle. From a socially distant minimum of six feet away, welcome to our 2020 MLB Draft edition of Expanding the Grid. Very special edition of Expanding the Grid. David Kahn here with you, and we have an incredible guest with us. He is one of the most talented writers on the athletic staff and on the Seattle Mariners beat. It is Corey Brock from The Athletic in Seattle joining us here today. Corey, really appreciate you jumping on and uh, giving us some insight on how the 2020 draft went. Yeah, David, good to hear from you. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's it's interesting talking about baseball in terms of uh, actual development. I think it's certainly... Uh, not a lot going on uh, in terms of uh, returning to play, but the draft was held last week, albeit a shortened one, and uh, Mariners feel pretty good about the picks they made. We'll certainly see how that pans out. But, um, you know, it's funny, by the end of the fifth round, I was like, man, I'm glad this thing isn't 40 rounds. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and certainly some, I say that, you know, glibly, but, you know, a lot of guys obviously lost opportunities, you know, the sixth through tenth round guys, let's say. Uh, could have made a lot more money um, than they will with this $20,000 undrafted free agent pool. But um, I guess that's just kind of the state we're in now. I don't know if we'll ever go back to a 40-round draft again. But, yeah, yeah, it was it was fun to actually talk about baseball players. And, um, you know, certainly a lot of guys are very excited about this next opportunity. Yeah, so we'll get into the draft here in short order, but uh, first of all, we're obviously in the midst of a very weird time in the history of our country. There's multiple reasons and multiple issues why. Uh, how are you and your family doing in all of this? Yeah, we are doing well. It's funny, and um, I, I say this, and I'm a, my, my, the line I've been using, David, is my wife says, um, you know, we've never spent so much time together, and I, I couldn't quite <laughs> tell whether she meant that in a good way or a bad way. I will say I've never spent as much time working in my yard in my entire life, uh, only to realize now that I should have been out there a lot more. But um, yeah, it's it's been different being home selfishly as some, a father of uh, six and a half year old twin boys. Um, it's been great to be home and to be around them at this time and certainly in this stage in their life and their development. So um, yeah, I wish we could have it both ways, you know, get an opportunity to spend more time with the family. But um yeah, I, I seem to think we'll maybe get some baseball back at some point, but I think we're all kind of coping with it and dealing with it pretty well. What's been the most rewarding part for you about getting to spend extended time with your wife and your twins? Wow, that's a good one. Like I said, you know, um, 
from a tangible aspect, I guess maybe it's just some things we've been able to do that I wouldn't be able to do at this time. Um, I mentioned the artwork, pulling out shrubs, putting in some rock, really working on the backyard, um, watching my boys develop as human beings and seeing where they were three months ago and where they are now, not just uh, <laughs> size-wise and the length of their hair, but um, you know, just sort of how they're we're having more conversations, um, you know, they're, they're reading, things like that. Just a lot of markers that um, probably I would have missed had I been on the road and come home like a week out of every, you know, 10 to 14 days or, or whatever it would have been, whatever the schedule looked like. So, yeah, I would say those are the things. And, um, yeah, it's it's been fun. I, mean, I feel like I'm always looking for that next uh, Netflix show. Um, <laughs> what are you watching right now? <laughs> well, I just got done with Space Force. Did you watch that? So I, I haven't yet. I started the pilot, but it was very late at night, and I fell asleep in the middle of it, and I need to go back yeah. and start it. <laughs> yeah, it took a while to kind of get going, but uh, I really liked it in the end. I thought it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's hard to uh, uh, picture Steve Carell as anyone other than Michael Scott, right. you know, and you talk about typecasting. I'm sorry, but I can't think of him as anyone other than that. So, but he did a nice job in this, and I think the writing's uh, was really well done. So, yeah, it's that. Trying to read a little bit. I'm kind of a novice soccer fan. I don't know how you feel about soccer, David, but I'm kind of getting excited for the Premier League to come back next weekend. Um, I'm a Portland Timbers fan. The MLS is going to be getting back in order here. I think with a tournament in July. So. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been, I probably feel like I've had my fill of old games on TV. You know, um, early on when this started, the Mariners and their um, television partner, Root Sports Northwest, really hammering on some of the uh, the big games in Mariner history. And to answer your question, yes, there, there were some. Um, this was years ago in 1995. <laughs> Certainly, Edgar Martinez, big double. Um, to clinch that series was a big one. So I feel like I've seen that a lot. So I'm just kind of aching for live sports again. How about you? Yeah, I'm aching for live sports again, too. I'm not as big of a soccer fan as you are, but I've been enjoying the KBO, uh, you know, watching all the last dance was tremendous. I know that's not live, but it was live for me. Um, cause I, Michael Jordan was before I was born. I was born in 94, the year after, you know, he retired the first time and then came back. Um, so I hadn't seen really most of that. And when he retired again, I was five. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I'm ready for sports to come back and and we'll touch on that, the MLB negotiations here in short order, order too. Uh, but I want to give you a chance uh, as well to give our fans who haven't gotten the chance to, to know you and, and interact with you as much as some of the fans in Seattle have, uh, give a little bit of background on you, how you got into sports and ended up working for the athletic. Yeah, well, I'm a native Washingtonian. I grew up in western Washington, um, kind of in the Seattle-Tacoma area, and grew up watching games in the kingdom. Um, I should preface all this with by saying I'm extremely old, or at least I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> uh, I'm 51, so I saw, as a teenager, I saw a lot of games in the kingdom back when the Mariners were not very good, and you could go to a game and there'd be like 3,000 fans there. But, you know, you didn't really care because, like, that was your team, right? And that's where you grew up um, falling in love with the sport. So um, baseball's kind of always been a big interest for me. I coached high school baseball and American Legion baseball for a while 
before I got into writing full time. And, you know, I've kind of run the gamut, David. I've I worked in newspapers for a long time, um, back when those were a thing. <laughs> uh, then I was at MLB.com, covered the Mariners for one year there. And then I lived in San Diego and covered the Padres for nine years. And uh, my wife and I were married there. Our boys were born there. And then getting to get back to the Northwest. So, Came back. We live outside of Portland in Vancouver, Washington, about 20 minutes from downtown Portland, probably about two and a half hours from Seattle. So I, I, I spend some time up in West Seattle during the season, staying there when the Mariners are in town or I'm on the road. So uh, I've been with the Athletics since 2018. And uh, honestly, it's been the best job I've ever had in my life. And I think uh, if you quizzed other athletic writers, they'd probably tell you the same. It's a opportunity to kind of uh, spread your wings a little bit as a writer, uh, do a lot of deep storytelling, um, you not get so uh, into the regimented nuts and bolts, which is still very important. But like, you know, if someone goes on the disabled list with a sore hamstring, that isn't a huge thing for us. Maybe the next big story is, well, so what does that mean moving forward? What is this? Does this give a young kid an opportunity to play? Maybe we can dig in a little deeper that way. So the writing itself isn't really transactional, but it's more about uh, telling deep and rich and interesting stories. And hopefully I've been able to do that. I've had some ones that I, I really liked. I did one a, a couple months ago on uh, former shortstop for the Mariners, Mario Mendoza. I've been trying to track down for like well over a year, David. This, you know, he lives in Mexico. Um, it took a while to find him. Then it took a while to touch base with him. And we had a back and forth trying to figure out I, w I want to go talk to him, but um, we just—I don't know—it was just kind of hit and miss, and I kind of got the sense he wasn't really into it. But uh, deep down, he was, and he came to L.A. in January for a tournament for his grandson. And he goes, "Hey, I'm going to be in L.A. for three days." And I, you know, the nice thing about where I work is I could tell my boss that I was like, "Hey, I got a chance to go hang out with Mario Mendoza for three days." And he's like get on a plane and go. So, <laughs> um, so I wrote about him and about the Mendoza line, who I'm sure uh, maybe a, a lot of your fans probably are familiar with the, it's kind of the universal oh, yeah. uh, sign for futility. That's, that's really used beyond sports uh, and be, beyond baseball and beyond sports. So he talked about that and how that, um, how that doesn't really define him as a player, as a person. And I don't know it was just, it was a really fun story to write and report. Yeah, I've always found The Athletic to be, kind of like you said, uh, next-level storytelling. And, and that's one of the reasons that I subscribe to it. And, and I've you know loved reading uh, everything that they've been putting out ever since I subscribed, especially during this pandemic. And you are a, a consistent read for me, and I know a lot of Power fans now that we're uh, affiliated with the Mariners. Um, so for starters, uh, just give kind of your overall thoughts on how this draft was executed. Uh, I know you said there might be a slight appeal for the five-round format, because uh, you were like, wow, I, I'm glad this didn't go 40 rounds. Yeah, mostly because I didn't want to sit there all night um, waiting for these picks to roll in. But no, it, I thought it, I thought it went pretty well uh, for the Mariners. And again, you know, I'm not a scout. Um, you know, I don't I haven't spent any time watching any of these players play. And I think it's important to to note that and certainly not pretend like, you know, we have the be all end all voice on who these players are and what they will become. The fact of the matter is. Even the Mariners don't know what these players will become. That's kind of the beauty of sport and certainly in baseball where um, it being different than other sports that, you know, these guys, some of these guys may take five years 
uh, or so, or to develop into major league players. And certainly some will never get there, but you know, it's kind of, I think one of the cool things is with baseball players is not everybody follows a linear path. Um, for some guys, it takes longer. Like I said, some guys never make it, but um, it, it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, having the six overall pick, um, was uh, was really good for the Mariners because they knew they were going to get a good player, and they ended up with Emerson Hancock, the right-handed pitcher out of Georgia, who was a the guy they targeted. You know what's funny, David, is you, you see this a lot, and I don't mean to knock these teams because what they do for a living and all that, but these teams will pick their guy, and they'll be like, we got our guy, we got our guy. And it's like, well, what if you didn't get your guy? Well, you know, what if your guy went one pick before your guy? I mean, then is that guy you got your guy too? You know what I mean? It's, just, <laughs> it's kind of semantics, but I, I always find it laughable when like we got our guy. It's like, okay, well, unless you're drafting number one, you, you can only truly say that if you're taking the first overall pick, right? Um, Cause that's your guy. No one else had the chance to draft him, but um, no, I think, I think Hancock was a pretty good fit. This is a third consecutive college pitcher they've taken in the first round which shows you how much they value that uh, skill set and certainly uh, and what they're trying to do with this rebuild here is um, add as many interesting and impactful to the farm system as they can and a guy like Hancock who was pitching in the SEC you know has probably got an opportunity to I would say move uh, quicker than some guys through the minor league system Um, again we don't know if we're going to have a minor league season this year but so it sort of set a lot of people back, but um, I think they're very excited about his upside. And then, you know, from there they had five more picks uh, on the second day and um, spent them all on college players. So the Mariners kind of have a blueprint of uh, what they're looking for. Jerry Depoto, the general manager, hasn't taken uh, very many high school guys during his time. So he's certainly got a type of guy he goes after. So um, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting draft overall. Did you see the Mariners' strategy change at all once the draft was announced that it was going to five rounds? And if so, how did Jerry, Andy, and and Scott kind of maneuver with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I you know I don't know in terms of overall draft strategy if uh, it changed anything they were doing. And and I, I say this because you know in terms of Emerson Hancock. Um, you know, they didn't probably get a chance to see him a lot this spring, but he's been on their radar for over a year. And, and teams are like already well versed on guys who are going to be draft eligible in 2021. Uh, teams are pegging these guys that far out because it gives them a longer leash in terms of sample size to watch these guys. So there's very few surprises, I would say, when it comes to the draft. And the Mariners had a pretty extensive book on Hancock for having watched him. Uh, during his sophomore year at Georgia, where he was one of the best pitchers in the country, to be honest, and probably watched him in more leagues and things like that. So I don't know if it changed anything. Um, maybe it it did in terms of how you prioritize, uh, you know, fourth and fifth round guys and who's going to be important to grab there uh, that you could have control over whether, um, you know, you might have some other guys who are sort of on that bubble and can go back to college um, and they could certainly some consign for twenty thousand dollars, but it seems to me that um, a lot of those guys, if they had the opportunity, would probably go back to school. I think junior colleges are going to get a big bump from these guys, uh, especially high school players going the junior college route, or even JC guys going back to JC to get another year. So I'll be curious to see what kind of quality player comes out of the undrafted free agent pool. But 
But by and large, I thought it was a very diverse class. They took three pitchers, three position players, and uh, I think they feel pretty excited about all these guys. Now, obviously, the Mariners are in the midst of a rebuilding process. They, they have been that way for some time. Uh, how did this draft benefit that process, and do you think they hit on the areas they needed to to continue to boost this farm system and prepare the Mariners to eventually compete again? Yeah, and you know how they look at it, David. They look at it like this. They look at it as waves of players, basically. And so you kind of have a, this current wave of young guys now, and I will classify that as Kyle Lewis, Evan White, Jake Fraley, Shed Long, guys who are ready to contribute at the major league level now, right? And then now could be on that. That next wave would be guys like uh, Jared Kelnick, Logan Gilbert, um, maybe Julio Rodriguez, even still, even though he's still very young. Um, other guys that are coming up pushing that. Uh, George Kirby, uh, their first round pick last year, would be one of those guys, even though he's barely pitched uh, professionally. And so. You know, I, I would imagine this next group of young guys would be that future uh, future wave of guys. Juan um, Ten, did you guys have Juan Ten at your place? We did for the very tail end of the year. He made three starts, and my goodness, he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know they're very excited. They were very excited to. They had him originally traded him and then got him back. <laughs> yeah, so, it was a revolving like, door between Seattle and New York for one ten. Yeah, like they had a seller's remorse or something. They needed to do what they had to do to get him back. So, you know, I would imagine Hancock probably could, because he had a little bit more of advanced skill set, he could fit in with that group. And I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some players here. I don't have my list in front of me. So it's basically about waves of guys, and right? And so you want to ideally bring these waves of guys to Seattle and knowing they're all not going to arrive at once. They all need time to develop in the farm system. And I think certainly if there's no minor league season, that's going to hurt the Mariners rebuild efforts. The upside of that, David, of course, is it's going to hurt everybody's efforts, right? Whether you're rebuilding or not um, in terms of development for some of these guys. But um, what they want to do is they want to bring these groups to Seattle, sort of graduate them in waves if they can. And certainly you're not going to hit on all of them, but you kind of want one wave after another thriving, and that's how you build sort of a sustainable, successful farm system. So I think they feel like some of these guys they picked um, could be part of that future wave, albeit far down the road. You know, you mentioned the future waves of Mariners players that are going to come in in 2020, 2021, and so on. Evaluate where the Mariners' rebuild is at right now, say from back in 2017 when they signed Julio uh, to now. The farm system was pretty bare, um, you know. I think, and going through the uh, the process of what they were trying to do in '17 and certainly '18 was kind of in a win now mode, and didn't have a whole lot of assets on the minor league level. I think that was reflective in many, uh, you know, Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, and uh, how they were ranked. Their farm system, um, in not a whole lot of uh, talent there, and so. They, when they made the decision at the end of 2018 to go the rebuild route, you know, they were going to move their, their assets, uh, you know, James Paxton, Robinson Cano, um, and get some young players back that they could build around and that they could build from within and create something. So I think throughout all these deals they've made the last two years, they've developed themselves into a, you know, probably top 10, top eight farm system. 
And now, certainly, these guys look very good on paper, and the system is light years ahead of where it was, like, as you mentioned, 2017. But, you know, these guys still have to do something at the big league level. So, um, you know, I just think it, it's really a shame because 2020 for the Mariners, you know, whether they play what 50 games or not or whatever, I mean, that's going to be games and they'll be good. But it's really going to deprive them of a prime opportunity to – watch, evaluate, and more importantly, make decisions at the end of the year on who these guys are and if they're going to be part of your future in 2021 and beyond. Because as I've, I've told everybody, David, by October 1st, in a normal year, the Mariners would have been able to sit there and say, okay, he's in, he's in, and we're not sure about him. This guy isn't who we thought he was going to be. This guy, I don't think he's going to make it. So you can make some decisions moving forward about your your rebuild. Now, we've, if we lose an entire year or most of a year, um, that's just going to hurt them quite a bit in terms of um, yeah, truly understanding who these young players are and what they're capable of. And like I said, even if it's a 50-game window, uh, pretty small sample size. So it's it's a shame in that regard. Um, and certainly, you know, this hurts a lot of teams. It's not just the Mariners. It hurts the Mariners because of what they're doing with the rebuild. Um, let's say some teams like the Dodgers. What if Mookie Betts never plays a game for the Dodgers? <laughs> you know, and, you know, these teams, I think the, the, the competitive window, um, you know, for these teams that are truly considered postseason contenders, a competitive window, it can be pretty small for some of these teams. Man, you're on the brink a couple years. Uh, maybe you sneak in with a wild card. But unless you, like I said, unless you have some waves of talent coming from behind and maybe you make a few shrewd moves, you know, that competitive window can slam shut very quickly. It just doesn't stay open anymore like it used to for the, those, all those great Yankees teams, right? Um, we're in a much more competitive era now. And, um, you know, I just think uh, it's really unfortunate on a lot of fronts um, that we're not playing baseball right now. And I think the Dodgers are a perfect example of that competitive window shrinking because they've been in the World Series recently. They feel a little bit robbed by both the Astros and the Red Sox. Um, and, you know, they're they're going full bore to get guys like Mookie Betts and David Price and, and maneuvering their prospects the way they have with getting a guy like Cody Hosey in the first round last year. Um, you know, they're they're obviously, you know, very, very much affected by not having a season, especially with a guy like Mookie, who is a free agent after this year. He could technically never put on a Dodgers uniform. So it's, it's a great point you brought up. Uh, Corey Brock joining us here from The Athletic uh, on Expanding the Grid. Uh, let's get a little bit into each of these picks and, and explore them a little bit more. We've touched on Emerson Hancock, the Mariners' uh, first-round pick this year. Uh, like you said, they're following in that tradition of going Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, all power right-handers. Uh, the one thing I, I was curious about, Nick Gonzalez from New Mexico State was available at 6 he went to the Pirates at seven. Why did the Mariners continue to follow their trend of getting power arms when they have a rather loaded slew of arms in the system already instead of going for middle infield depth with Gonzalez, which is something it seems like they're lacking? Yeah, fair question. And, you know, ultimately, I don't know if we'll ever get that true answer. You know, I, I seem to think that um, maybe a college pitcher is a little bit more of a safer pick. And certainly they feel with a lot of the programs they have on the player development side that they could really help this guy out um, to help him further elevate his game. And you know, he could either be a, a 
you know, a future cog to the rotation where he could be a trade ship. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that his future can kind of lay out for him. In terms of Gonzalez, I was kind of with you too, David. I, I wasn't, I thought he might be on the bubble in terms of, um, you know, if, I don't I don't think it was ever going to be a coin flip. I think their preference was always Hancock, but, you know, in, in terms of a, a really, really advanced bat and, um, you know, the Cape Cod League MVP and the Mariners place a ton of, um, importance on the Cape Cod League. They view it as the best playing against the best. And it's really a good proving ground for the best players, best college players in the game. And he was the MVP there, which kind of told you everything you need to know about how good he is. Now, he does play his college games at 3,900 uh, uh, feet of altitude, right, in New Mexico. And he was playing against some weaker competition in the, uh, I believe, the Western Athletic Conference. Um, and so maybe there were some question marks there in terms of uh, what his bat would eventually be, what his ceiling would be. Uh, I was kind of like you, you know, you, you take a look at how many arms they have in the system and young guys coming on the way. And maybe this was an opportunity to take that bat, give your system sort of an impact bat. But if you didn't truly believe that it was an either or situation, and Hancock was always your guy, then you got to go with Hancock. So I just think that the preference all along was Hancock, um, just because it gives you yet another potential rotational cog, uh, albeit a few years down the road to, or, or like I said, another piece that you can maybe move eventually in a deal later to get a position player who's a little bit more advanced. So you know, we'll see how this all shakes out. I, I think, you know, it's funny as I sit here and look at it now, I'm a little bit more anxious or curious to see what Gonzalez becomes more so than what Hancock. <laughs> and he's not even on the team. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you touched on getting an impact bat, and while they lost out on Gonzalez uh, because they went with Hancock, Zach Deloach, their second-round pick, uh, seems like the ideal impact bat that they're looking for. Uh, you mentioned the Cape Cod League. He boosted his stock tremendously back in the summer of 2019 and was ripping the cover off the ball for Texas A&M in 2020. Uh, what was it about his transformation that piqued the Mariners' interest so much? I think it was a couple things. Again, um, the Cape Cod League results sort of spoke for themselves. He led the uh, – I think he was one of the top hitters in that league. Um, and I, I think they looked at his – where he had been in the past. And I think he really struggled early on at Texas A&M. Um, I think he hit 200 uh, the previous year. He did some things to sort of unlock his swing and um, you know, been able to drive the ball a little bit, hit a little bit more with power using his lower half. So I think they looked at him not only for what, what he is, you know, a left-handed guy that, you know, could hit the ball all over the field. You know, I think, you know, there's an upside bat there, but I think they see him for what he could be. And I know for a fact that they probably they, I know for a fact they shared video of him with some of their internal people, minor league hitting people, and they really fell in love with his swing and know that if they get him in to their player development program, they could really work with him on developing his body um, and certainly developing his skill set a little bit. So I, I think it's truly a, a move that was made with an eye on the future more so than anything he's done to this point. And really, if you're if you're a quality team, that's what all these moves should be. It shouldn't be about what these guys are now, even necessarily what they hit uh, currently, but it's about pegging them three, four, five years down the road in terms of what they could be. 
Now, I read something that you wrote on Deloach that Scott Hunter and uh, Andy McKay were both impressed with how much uh, Deloach controls the zone. And I know that's a huge philosophy uh, for the Mariners hitting department and hitting development. When you talk about that philosophy with draft picks, are you looking for a guy that has the potential to really live up to that philosophy or already does it coming into the Mariners system? I think they could build velocity. And I think, uh, you know, I went down in January to Arizona uh, to their gas camp where a lot of guys um, are, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of different things down there. First of all, it's not all about building velocity. Velocity could be a byproduct of the work they're doing down there. And they saw some spikes across the system last year with a lot of guys. LJ Newsom was one. Um, so I think they really have some smart people on the pitching side so they could help a guy there, but even a guy who, you know, maybe is not as dialed in with commands, you know, the guy they took, um, the junior college pitchers only 19 and there was certainly a bit of a walk rate there, but I, you know, I think they feel that one, the guy's 19, he's basically a high schooler that, you know, they could work with him on these things. But I, I think that um, for hitters, if you show a propensity or at least the ability to take a walk now, that's going to help you so much more later. I think it's It's probably difficult for a guy who isn't used to looking for walks, or I should say not looking for walks. It's, it's really strike zone recognition, right? It's really understanding the nuances of what's a strike for you, what's not a strike for you. I think that's tougher for guys to learn. I, maybe it's sort of an innate ability more than anything. So I think they looked at Deloach and thought, this guy already does a pretty good job with that. Maybe we can help him get a little bit better. And then certainly we can unlock some things in his lower half to get him to drive the ball a little bit more. So it's really an upside play for them. And now let's touch on that 19-year-old Juco product that you just mentioned, Connor Phillips, the third pick for the Mariners uh, in the draft this year. The Mariners, like you said, Jerry DePoto rarely dips into the high school pool. And with a a five-round condensed draft, you kind of assume that there was no shot they were going there. But he's been touted as one of the best Juco arms in the country. He was already drafted out of high school. LSU was looking at him. But he was like, I want to be draft eligible immediately. What do you make of him both as a player and as a person? Because it seems like he's incredibly cerebral based on how he handled this draft process. Well, and I think he's probably pretty hungry, too. That's what it tells me that, you know, he's decided to go this route and um, bet on himself a little bit. And certainly it paid off for him. I mean, he's going to get a nice bonus. He's going to get an opportunity to join an organization that's like I said, has done some very good things on the pitching side. And I'm sure they had very good conversations with him about the things they could do to help him and to get him better. So, but yeah, he's 19. His fastball, you know, sits in the mid nineties. He's hit up to he hit 98. Uh, there's a lot to like there. And again, um, you don't have to be in a rush with these guys. That's, that's sort of the beauty of it. You let these guys sort of develop at the pace they develop at. And again, um, there's going to be nowhere for him to go play games this summer, and that's fine. You know, that's that's fine. That's going to be the case for everybody. But um, I'm again just really curious to see what this guy evolves into in a couple of years. And you know, you, you look at a 19-year-old too, and you know, his his body still may change. He may fill out a little bit more. Um, we just don't know exactly what this Phillips kid's going to be. But it's you know what he has as a baseline is pretty exciting. So now we get to the guy who I think is the most intriguing uh, pick for the Mariners out of the six that they had, Caden Polkovich, uh, another breakout guy in the Cape Cod League last summer. 
Uh, he profiles, I think, to me, like a Dustin Pedroia, or if you want to go Mariners, a Donnie Walton. Uh, really solid defense, but you know, good build, and it looks like he's worked on his contact a lot. But the thing that got me the most about him is Jim Callis uh, from MLB Pipeline called him a grinder. Uh, do you think that's an apt description for him? Yeah, and again, I don't know exactly what his upside is. I saw that pick, and I thought, uh, the first thing I thought, was you know you know as a third round pick he's probably not getting third round money some of that money is uh going elsewhere and this was sort of a safe low ceiling pick um and i i don't want to sound disparaging david as i, I talk about him because you know, his numbers and his success sort of speak for themselves but i think this guy probably pegs as a future utility guy unless you know he can make a go of it at second base but um you know again he's he's hit everywhere he's been and, um, you know, yeah, who knows exactly what he will become. I, I, like I said, I just think he's a little closer to his ceiling than almost everybody else they took in this spot. So, uh, but that's fine. I mean, I think, I think there's a place for guys like that. I think there's a place for a, a Donnie Walton. Um, there's a place for Tim Lopes, you know, guys who uh, can maybe bounce around a little bit and certainly can hit at the big league level. If you could do that, they're in the spot for you. So moving right along uh, to another hitter, Tyler Keenan. And the first thing that I noticed when I looked at Tyler Keenan was he's a big boy and he can rake. I mean, this is a prototypical mash guy you put in the middle of your lineup and you terrify pitchers with. But what's the obstacles that Keenan's going to need to overcome to be successful? Because it seems like he has the bat, but what else does he need to get? What else does he need to develop? Well, he's probably going to have to watch his size a little bit. I think he's 6'4", listed at 240, probably closer to 250. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to stick at third base, to be honest with you. Maybe he ends up at the other corner, which is fine, because if the the bat is what you think it's going to be, again, you're going to be able to find a place for him. Um, you know, I, I thought he uh, his numbers, especially in probably the best conference in America, were very good. He's a left-handed hitter. You like that. Seems to have some good recognition of the strike zone. Um, again, he's just going to have to keep an eye on his body a little bit, but um, I, I'm curious how he does when he starts to face really good pitching, which I think, you know, he's going to get that opportunity at some point, albeit maybe a year or so. But yeah, I, I, I love watching the videos because if it's all fields power, if you love watching the videos, David, um, you know, he's not strictly a left-handed pull hitter and he's strong enough to hit the ball out the other way, which certainly tells me a lot about, him as a hitter, his strength and his plate coverage. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, just another intriguing guy. I'm curious to see what he becomes. Yeah, he seemed a lot like Tristan Casas, who the Red Sox took a couple of years ago in the first round in terms of where he can play and how he hits to all fields with incredible power. Um, final guy that the Mariners took uh, draft-wise this year, Taylor Dollard, bullpen to starter guy, good control, four-pitch mix. He seems like a bit of a follow-up to guys like Reed Morgan and Logan Reinhart, who we saw in West Virginia this past year. Where do you see him kind of settling in down the road in the Mariners rotation bullpen puzzle? Yeah, see, I li- I like him. I, I I like this pick a lot, and um, I think people get so obsessed about velocity. And velocity is great. I mean, uh, missing bats is still a big part of the game, but um, you know, we've certainly seen a lot of pitchers be successful who don't have plus velocity. I'll use Marco Gonzalez as an example, but um, I think they really loved his control. And we talk about that. We talked earlier, David, about control the zone, see the Z, and I think this is a kind of a perfect example. This guy has missed bats, but he throws a ton of strikes, doesn't walk batters, doesn't give in the guys, and I think you know he made the move to the rotation. They feel like 
you know, he could be a starter at least initially. And then what happens from there, they'll let that decide his future. But um, I think they feel like that was probably a, a nice little pickup for them in the fifth round with their last pick. So again, I like, it would have been fun, like in a, in a regular spring, or I'm I should say summer, like, you know, Taylor Dollard would have been pitching uh, for short season Everett, you know, would have got 20 to 50 innings under his belt. And it would have been fun to see exactly uh, what he could do to see some of these guys get their toes wet professionally uh, before we move into the off season. But um, yeah, it's kind of a shame we've, we've gone that route. And I feel like a broken record. I keep going back to that, but <laughs> I just want to see these guys play, I guess, especially the, these young guys. Let the kids play has never been a more fitting phrase to utter than in 2020. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Corey Brock here with us from The Athletic. Uh, looking back on the draft as a whole and who wasn't taken, obviously there's another pool of draft signees that we can get to in a moment, but was there anyone that wasn't drafted that you were surprised the Mariners didn't go after? No, uh, because I just, you know, I'm not entirely, I'm not privy to their process of what they're looking for. And, um, I think they they viewed those picks that they had uh, uh, very smartly, and um, you know it, we're very trying to be very certain about the guys that they did select, knowing that beyond that beyond the fifth round, you don't really have any control to do anything. So um, other than the undrafted free agents, and that's an interesting pool of guys as well, because um, you know there's only twenty thousand dollars you could sign for. I think that's going to be a lot of college seniors. Uh, maybe some guys that just aren't interested in going to class. I think we've we've been there, right? You know. Oh so yeah. <laughs> I think I think there could be a few guys they sneak in there, but I, I seem to think those guys will probably end up being more organizational depth than anything. And maybe a future big leaguer, David, comes from this group of guys. Um, stranger things have happened, so um, yeah, I think it's gonna be kind of fun and interesting to see who these all these teams end up with. Yeah, so let's touch on uh, this new, we'll call it the post-draft system or whatever you want to call it, where you can offer $20,000 to seemingly as many free agents out there as you want that were declared for the draft and didn't get picked up. So how is this new system going to affect teams? Because it seems like it's going to give teams that would have had later picks in those rounds 6 through 40 an advantage because now it's a free-for-all. Yeah, and it's but you just don't know exactly... Um, how organizations are prioritizing these guys. If they feel like there's truly going to be um, some upside talent here or if this is going to be guys who need to sign because they don't really have any other avenues. So uh, I know for the Mariners, so let's, I'll use them as an example because I'm just privy to what they're trying to do. They don't anticipate signing more than five, maybe between, well, I should say between five and ten is sort of what they've said. So I would assume other organizations are going to follow those lines a little bit. I don't think they're going to be a long line of guys that are just handing $20,000 checks out to just for the sake of doing so. I think um, if we've seen, you know, if what we've seen here recently with a lot of minor leaguers getting released, maybe in sort of anticipation of there being no season, um, certainly um, you're well-versed on the, the topic of the minor league reduction. I think teams are just being a little bit more judici- judicious about um, how many guys they have in their system. And so they just, you know, they're not keeping bodies just for the sake of keeping bodies. There's got to be a place for these guy to, guys to play, and there has to be a place in the organization. So, yeah, like I said, I think most of these teams are probably going to sign between five and ten guys and try and be really smart about it if they have a deficiency somewhere maybe they go 
uh, sign a catcher, let's say. I, I think that was, that's probably smart for a lot of organizations to add a catcher. You could probably never have enough good catching in your system. So I would look for some college catchers uh, maybe to go here. Um, so worth keeping an eye on. I'm kind of curious to see if these guys are really more than organizational filler, um, but I guess time will tell. So you mentioned the Mariners are probably going to look at five to ten guys to bring into their system with this new twenty thousand uh, dollar, you know, add-on portion at the end of the draft. Uh, what's their strategy with that? Are they going to offer it to twenty-five guys and hope that five to ten accept, or are they going to kind of pinpoint it down to okay, these guys we know are going to take the money and we'll offer it to just them? Yeah, I think it's going to be. Um guys that they've targeted and guys who have interest in some of the things they're doing. I mean, I know the Mariners as a selling point are going to show some of their programs, their player development programs they had. Uh, we mentioned gas camp. Another one that I've been to is high performance camp. I went down there for two falls to watch some of those developments there and sort of, de- you know, developing the entire player, not just physically, but mentally, there's a big nutritional component there. They do a lot of meditation, um, I think the Mariners are really at the forefront of uh, sort of taking a holistic re- approach to player development and helping these guys, you know, in a lot of areas. Uh, it's very, very enlightening. If readers get a chance, um, I would look up High Performance Camp on the athletic website. There, it's, it's just very interesting in what they've done there and what they continue to do to help their players. So I, I would assume they would use this kind of, David, as a – recruiting tool of sorts and telling these players, you know, it, you know, this is why you should sign with us because we can offer you this. We could help you um, become something. We're going through a rebuild. We're going younger. Um, and these are our programs we have and look how they're working. So I would seem to think that those would be some of the, the programs they would be pushing during their conversations with these players. How much of the Mariners' agreement to pay their minor league guys their weekly stipend throughout this season help with that and, and kind of show, hey, we're going to take care of you as a member of our minor league system? Yeah, I think that all of that plays big. I think if you're a prospective um, player and you're looking at Team A and Team B and they're awfully close, um, I think maybe that's gonna, that could be a determining factor, one that is, seems to be going week to week where we're going to play our pay our minor leaguers through August 1st or, or whenever, or just come out and said, Hey, we value these guys so much. We're going to take care of them through the end of the year. Um, I think those are all, they could be determining factors for a guy and they could break some ties and sort of for a guy to figure out where he's going to go. So I think they're all kind of pieces to the puzzle um, that some of these uh, undrafted free agents are probably weighing as they go through this process. Wrapping things up here with Corey Brock from The Athletic on Expanding the Grid. Uh, Speaking of money, what are your thoughts on the current dispute over the return-to-play proposals going around? Uh, It seemed like we were getting closer and closer to everybody agreeing, and then uh, everything kind of tumbled over the last few days, and the biggest issue up in the air seems to be the amount of money, and now the way the negotiations are being handled. It's all a, a big, jumbled mess right now. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that we've come to this point because it sort of seems like if you look around the landscape of sports, all these other leagues are really finding a a path to get back to playing, even if it's not in front of fans. Uh, for soccer, maybe it's a shortened tournament um, as opposed to continuing the regular season. But uh, and understanding all these leagues have their own sets of challenges. Uh, baseball is sort of the, the component of all this is it's it's really disappointing that 
uh, you know, that we're still sitting here um, really in, in mid-June and we don't have an idea if this is, you know, what's going to happen this year and if the commissioner is going to have to impose this unilateral 50-game schedule because uh, the two sides can't come together. So I think it's really disappointing. And as someone who, you know, lived through and remembers uh, very clearly the uh, the work stoppage in 1994, and what that did and the lasting effects it had and how it really ran off some fans and probably some for good who have not forgiven baseball for going through that. Uh, this feels really eerily similar and it's really too bad because I think a lot of damage has already been done. Um, even if we end up do, even if we end up playing a shortened schedule this year, I think some damage has been done in terms of um, fans and how they sort of view baseball now, how they view these teams um, and maybe I, I tend to lean a little bit more on the player side. I guess I'm a little bit more sympathetic to their to what they what they've been saying um, and understand their frustration. But I, I, I just think it's really too bad that as we sit here now, we're still not sure if we're going to have baseball. If we go into a simulation and I make you the judge, jury, and <laughs> I guess we have to say executioner uh, with what's been going on, what would you deem a fair deal? for both sides or, or is something like that even in existence? I, well, yeah, should, should it be in existence? Yeah. I, th- I think the, the full prorated salaries, you know, I think, I think that's a big sticking point. And um, the players certainly have proposed a lot more games because they, they're trying to get as much money. As they can. I certainly understand that, but they're also willing to give up some things too. So I don't know. I just feel like, um, you know, they they probably feel like they're talking to a brick wall at times, and that has to be pretty frustrating. And I, I saw a quote the other day about, I think Marco Gonzalez of the Mariners tweeted something that, hey, we're ready to go. I, and I think these guys are ready to go. They're ready to play. And by now, um, based on the conversations between each side, they're just a little put off by the entire process and are like, okay, just give us our 50 games. We'll just play. And then, boy, I tell you what, we're going to have a big, we're going to have a big mess on our hands. Uh, next winter when they uh, negotiate that CBA. I just uh, I think we're really, really headed for trouble here. And this has done nothing but further that divide. So it's very unfortunate. Well, let's close on a lighthearted note here and a positive note looking forward for Mariners fans and for fans of the power as well. Uh, how excited are you for the future of the Seattle Mariners with everything that has happened over the last few years and with the draft class they have now? You know, I always thought at the end of 2018 when they made this decision – to take a step back to presumably take, you know, two steps forward. It was really their only path. I thought they could have brought, they could have brought some of those guys back the following year, Cano, Paxson, Zunino, and maybe made another run at it. But, you know, ultimately I don't think it would have got them anywhere and they, you know, it would just would have further set them back. So I think they had to go young. They had to rebuild and not tear the whole thing down. Um, but just sort of, you know, restock that system and get some interesting players up to the major leagues. And I think that's what we've seen. I mean, when the, whenever the season starts, we're going to see Justin Dunn. We're going to see Justice Sheffield, Shed Long, Evan White, who I'm really excited to watch. So I think as a Mariner fan, um, it's a tough go. It's honestly a tough go because this team hasn't been in the playoffs since 2001. I think it's put off a lot of people, and the Mariners aren't nearly as popular in Seattle as they once were, which is a shame. But I think a lot of fans are very pragmatic. I think the organization's been very transparent about their plans, 
and I think people are genuinely excited and understand what the organization's doing, and are, are they're really curious to see these young guys play. And uh, it's going to be fun, and I can't sit here today and tell you it's all going to work. No one can. The Mariners can't. Um, if they if they said they did, um, they either have the, the best crystal ball in the world or they're just lying. So, I mean, we just don't know how this is going to work out, but that's why you play the games. But, again, um, we got to have games to play, right? So um, hopefully we get to that point. It's like a magic eight ball when you shake it up and all you get the response is, response is hazy, ask again later. Yeah, you, you just keep shaking it, right? Yeah, exactly. And now now everyone is thinking back to when they owned Magic 8 Balls back in the early 90s. Uh, Corey, it's been a uh, absolute pleasure to get to chat with you. You've provided us tremendous insight and been very generous with your time. Certainly appreciate it. Uh, glad that you and your family are, are staying safe up in the Northwest. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, we are discussing baseball on the horizon uh, versus some of the other murky subjects that are going on right now. Uh, that'd be awesome, David. Thanks for checking in. I hope you're doing well, and the good people of West Virginia are doing well. And uh, we're going to get through this. Um, we're going to get baseball back, and hopefully, you get things back on track. But yeah, thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Cannot thank Corey Brock from The Athletic enough for all he was able to share with us today. If you want to read more of Corey's work, and I highly recommend you do, please subscribe to The Athletic and make sure you add the Mariners feed to your catalog. As always, please continue to stay safe, socially distance, and wash your hands as we get closer and closer to bringing back the game that we all love to Appalachian Power Park and all across the country. Until next time, thanks for listening to another episode of Expanding the Grid. 